Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Jewel Ornament of Liberation, Chapters 4 through 6, The Instructions on Impermanence, The Meditations on the Suffering of Samsara, and Karma and Its Results by Jim Dunn. Once we have met a spiritual teacher, we receive the most important teachings of our lives on how our lives and world are impermanent, how cyclic existence results in suffering, and how our thoughts, words, and actions bring about our experience of the world. Opening our eyes to how things are, we are inspired to apply ourselves to meditation and wisdom. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. So I'd like to welcome you all to this talk. You're continuing in the Jewel Ornament of Ornamentation, the commentary by Trangu Rinpoche. And uh, the Jewel Ornament by Gampopa was written, I think, in the, I forget, the 12th century, something like that. It's one of the classics of our lineage. Yeah, he lived in the 12th century, 1074 to 1053, 1153. So, so it's a pretty old text, but it's a good one. And uh, the commentary is in some ways much more accessible. Although the jewel ornament itself is not that inaccessible at all. It's not difficult to read by any means. And uh, if you're really interested in exploring this further, I would recommend it. So we usually begin these talks with the three line, the four line refuge prayer. So I will recite it, do my best in stumbling through the Tibetan and uh, follow along as you're able or interested. Sanje Shodong Shoki Chaknahamla Cheng Shup Bardu Takni Kiapsu Chi. Dakji chen sok chi pe so nam ki. Drola pensure sange drup par shok. Sanje shodong shok ki chok nahamla. Jeng shup bardu takni ki apsu chi. Dakji chen sok chi pe so nam ki. Prola Benshur Sanjay Druparshok. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment by the virtue of the six perfections to liberate all beings. So that's a rough translation in English. <sighs> So yeah, anyway, it's good to see everybody today and uh, glad you are here. And uh, we are continuing, as I said, in the Jewel Ornament. This is the fourth talk. And just as a quick review, there are six main topics in the Jewel Ornament. And the first topic was 
that we have covered was on the possibility of attaining enlightenment, which is our Buddha nature, Buddha essence, he calls it in the text. And the second topic that was covered is our precious human life. Sometimes as our precious human life of leisure and opportunity. We are all have a, are in a position to actually practice and attain enlightenment, which is a rare thing. People in the other realms are not. A lot of people born in other countries have no access to the Dharma or no awareness of it, so they're not. So we are fortunate in both being able to practice Dharma and Dharma and being in a place where it's taught and is available and accessible. The third topic Islamic Kathy covered last week was a teacher, a spiritual friend who will guide us. And once we have a spiritual friend, then we can learn the means to accomplish enlightenment. And that's the beginning of this topic, the method of how to actually achieve enlightenment or Buddhahood. And to really do this, we need to know how to practice. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And there are, I think, several, four topics in this. Three I will get into today. Instructions on meditating on impermanence, the suffering of samsara, and karma and its results. And I'm going to cover each of these somewhat briefly because all of them can take, require almost a whole talk of their own. There's a lot of material behind each of them. But presently, we are all in samsara. Samsara is the Buddhist world word for basically the world we live in. And it has this notion of going around and being reborn and coming back and having all the suffering and pain that you know we've all in some way or another experienced in our life. And we all don't want pain, and but that's what happens to us. Sometimes it's trivial, we get a little headache. Sometimes it's major. We lose a spouse or a parent or in a bad accident and a lot of physical suffering. So anyway, we'll talk more about that as we go on. So the first thing to understand is that the suffering takes place in our mind. Different thoughts occurring in our mind most all the time, and most of these are negative. So if we can manage to eliminate them, transfer our, transform our thinking, we might be able to trans, transcend suffering. And most of us, you know, that are still involved, and I think that's all of us, it certainly is me, have made us, he lists some Buddhist love lists. Somebody once jokes that Christians love Christ and Buddhist love lists. So we have so many of them. There are four mistakes that most of us make. One is being attached to this life's activity. The second is being attached to the pleasures of samsara. The third is being attached to peace. And the fourth is not understanding the methods by which Buddha what is accomplished. So too much attachment to this slice is the first problem. And we'll examine that when we talk about suffering and impermanence. The second mistake, suffering and happiness. People want to look away from suffering. They don't want to see it. They want to push it away. 
And what the Buddha really asks us to do is to know suffering, to know it's there. We don't have to seek it out, it'll find us. So we don't need to worry about that problem. But, you know, we'll all have to accept that it's there and look at it, we can't put our heads in the sand. Which leads us to the third mistake that some people want, and that is seeking peace. Just kind of wanting to zone out, bliss out. And some of the practices that Buddhists do can put you in a state that is pretty blissful, but ultimately is not useful or successful in actually getting you liberated. And the fourth one is complete ignorance and how to find freedom. And I hope we will remedy some of that today in all of these teachings that I know many of you have been showing up at are all designed in some ways to do that, to teach you how to transcend samsara. So the first teaching is on the truth of impermanence. And we all know that things are impermanent, but we often act quite like we don't truly believe it. Especially when we're young, we kind of are aware we're going to die, but we really don't understand that we will in fact die. And the moment of death can come at any time now. This whole COVID crisis, I think, has brought that home to many people. I'm not sure how many of you have experienced people with uh, COVID or have lost anyone. I know one person I know has actually died of it. A couple other people have had it. And then people that I friends know have actually got it and died of it. So that is something that you know we all are aware of now and the impermanence of this life and how uh, much we are really lucky to be alive and hope to keep that way. So we need to really understand impermanence, meditate on it. And as we are doing that, we just kind of need to think of some of the benefits of really understanding impermanence, that it does help us detach from things. You know, we think things will last. You get a nice house and, you know, you're set. You've got a great house, great place to live. But, you know, it gets old. It needs repairs. It needs money. It needs work. And then it starts to look a little tacky, so you need to update it. And uh, so even, you know, the nice things that you get will change and be somewhat impermanent. You get a car, it'll get old, out of date, need repairs, look old, not quite have all the features that are now available. So again, you want a new one, another one. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense to become overly attached to our stuff. So by really thinking and meditating on impermanence, you start to lose it. You lose your grasp of things that are impermanent and they lose their hold over you, over your mind. Begin to let them go a little bit better. And we can just kind of enjoy things. This is not about you know, just letting go of all the pleasures of life, certainly enjoy them. And uh, just don't hang on to them. There's a little poem by William Blake that I like, that I think just expresses this so well. He who binds to himself a joy, 
does a winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. So if you just kind of remember that, just kissing a joy as it flies will let you live with the rising sun, eternity sunrise. You know, it's not grasping, it's just kind of holding. You know, and as somebody once pointed out that, you know, I can hold, this is my watch and I can hold it like this, clenched fist, and it gets a little tense. tense. But if I just hold it in the palm of my hand like this, I have it, but I can just hold it relaxed and it'll stay. So that's the easier way to hold things and uh, lightly and not grasping them, not clinging onto them. So when we meditate, spend some time meditating on things and that they're impermanence, they're ephemeral, they won't be able to keep them. And just kind of realize it does not make a lot of sense to get overly attached to them. And also realize that, you know, as much as you enjoy this life and we have moments in this life that are truly delightful, that they will not last always. There will be times when you just want to change or need to change. And even some of the good things, you know, like when you're sitting down and you're quite comfortable or lying in bed and fully relaxed, you just sort of wish you could stay there all day. But then you need something like to go to the bathroom or your butt itches or something like that. So all those little things just interrupt our pleasures and just kind of remind us that this is samsara and we're never going to quite get it right. So that is a quick overview of impermanence. And uh, if you have any questions, just put them in the chat room. Or if you want to interrupt me with a question, you can just raise your hand and use the hand function. I think you all have the hand function under reactions on the screen. And uh, I'll try to answer them. <clears throat> So the second topic is the suffering of samsara. And I've already been talking about that to some extent. It's hard not to when we're talking about all of these topics. But we all want happiness and we not, not, don't want suffering. The Dalai Lama says that all the time. And that's kind of what's behind all of our actions is to see if we can find some way to be happy and some way to avoid suffering. But it changes, as I've just said with that. And so we kind of want to get out of samsara if we can. If it were happiness all the time and no suffering, there'd be no reason to want out of samsara. But as we become aware of the defects of samsara, and there are always defects, it becomes uh, something you may want to try to achieve as you escape the freedom from samsara freedom from suffering. And the suffering that we have in samsara is not personal. We sometimes think, gee, this is all about me. And if I were just doing something differently, it would get better. But uh, no matter what we do, we will always have some of the issues of samsara to deal with. 
So we need to always be aware of that. And Trangu Rinpoche in his commentary goes on that no matter what we do in samsara, including committing suicide or becoming rich or famous, we cannot eliminate suffering because it's the intrinsic nature. He talks a little bit about suicide, which is something that's considered a very great piece of bad karma, a sin in Buddhism. We don't usually talk about sins, but that's the shortest word I can think of to describe the effects of like something like suicide. It would most likely ensure us a number of bad lifetimes. And uh, also hurt a lot of people. So we need to understand that suffering is just part and parcel of the very nature of the world we live in. And we sometimes talk about the three types of suffering. Again, another group of lists. I said Buddhist level lists. The first type of suffering is known as all pervasive suffering. This form of suffering, which is inherent in the very process of existence. The second suffering is suffering of change. Things change on us. And the third kind of suffering is the actual suffering, the suffering that we all know. The pain, illness, things like that, aging. So on the face of these three different things, we react differently. When something good happens, something nice, we want to keep it, we want more of it. You know, it's like getting a piece of cake. Having had one, you want another, they're good. But you also know if you have too much, you really won't feel so good, so. So we all need to kind of give up on some of that stuff. The all-pervasive suffering is kind of the feeling we have whenever we have things going for us well, is that somehow this may not last, this may change. Sometimes it's also related to indifference. Sometimes if you're just feeling totally indifferent towards something, uh, that isn't necessarily a positive feeling. It's not a bad feeling, but there's always the threat of change, the threat that it won't last, that something will go bad. And this is described as the innate suffering of the process of existence. This is just one of our, part of our inherent nature. The suffering of change is, you know, when we do have good things, we want to grasp them, we want to hold them, we get attached to them. And yet they do not last, they do in some way change. You fall in love and then you somehow grow apart. Or if you don't grow apart and get married and are living happily ever after, one of you will die before the other. And either way there is suffering there. So we all kind of understand that. But often we act as though it's not true. We act as though what's going on now will last pretty much forever. And uh, 
So we just need to kind of internalize that in a way that we really believe it. And I know when you're young, you really seem to have that belief. For many years when I was driving through the university area, I kind of somehow thought of that I was driving through the land of the immortals. They'd walk in front of cars as though they were invulnerable and would never get hit or hurt. The one time I was walking along there and I saw a girl's feet sticking out of the windshield. Apparently she had gotten hit and I was going the other direction so I didn't see what the outcome of all that was, but it did not look good. But uh, So anyway, that is something that we need to kind of internalize in a way that we often don't. To realize that our things are impermanent and to take advantage of this life that we have. So that is the suffering of change. And then there is the suffering of suffering. And this we all know pretty well. The pains we get, headaches, colds, things like that, stubbed toes, sprained ankles, all the little things we run into that we really would rather not have. I mean, they're all fairly obvious. And one of the interesting things here is that Gampopa goes into great detail describing all the possible things and goes into all the different realms. And Tibetans seem to have a wonderful imagination for some of this stuff. Trungpa sort of spares us the details, but for example, one of the hell's realms that Gampopa talks about is the crushing hell realm where two mountains come together and totally crush you slowly. And then after you're totally crushed, a cool breeze blows over you and you come back to life and you get to do that again and again. There's a whole bunch of these kinds of things. I think there's something like seven hell realms. I'm not sure if we've ever talked about the realms. We have the hell realm, the realm of the hungry ghosts or pretzels the animal realm, the human realm, the realm of the demigods, and the god realm. And uh, the human realm is considered the best realm to be born in because we will have the wherewithal to practice dharma and to escape all of these realms. The, well, the hell realm is usually associated with anger, with angry people. People that want to get into fights or go to war, just have that angry attitude. <laughs> The hungry ghost realm is characterized by greed. They're often depicted as beings with very long, thin necks and big bellies. So they can never be satisfied. There's never enough. They're always craving more. The animal realm is not bad exactly, but you're always a little bit in fear of a predator coming after you or if not finding prey, if you are a predator and you just never quite understand anything well enough to actually practice dharma. You have no education or learning or mental capacity to learn it. So you're kind of stuck in that ignorant realm, that animal realm. And uh, so that is not a good realm to be in. The human realm is where we are and you know, it does give us the opportunity to practice dharma. Those we talk about rebirths and Gampopa in the book does, talks about some of the things we might do that would cause us to be born. Like if we were an angry person in this life, 
you might be reborn in a place with lots of war or violence. If we were a greedy person and hung on to a lot, our next life might be in a life of poverty. So these are a lot of little interesting things to contemplate. And Trangu uh, Rinpoche sort of glides over a lot of these. For Westerners, it seems a little strange sometimes, some of these ideas. Uh, the Tibetans take this pretty seriously and uh, certainly did. So anyway, there are those teachings there that are, I think, at least interesting and engaging. But the important thing here is just to realize that no matter what we do, samsara is suffering. It always has its defects is one of the words they use. So that is the second topic I need to talk about today, permanence and now samsara. And now we get into a little bit of karma. And karma is a complex topic actually to really talk about it in depth. There's an awful lot to be said, so I'm not going to say very much. Partly because I hope I get some questions from you and uh, would like to have a little interaction. I get tired of hearing myself talk and you probably get tired of me hearing me talk quicker than I do, so. So understanding karma, actually the word karma just simply means action. That's basically its literal meaning, its action. And, uh, but actions have consequences. So they always have some sort of consequence, whether it's now or later. Let's see what I got here. Check my notes a little bit. So the cause of everything we have, well, pretty much not everything is caused by karma. Some people get a little confused on that or like to think it's all karma. But as the Buddha points out, some things just seem to happen by chance. Some things are caused by, I think the Buddha actually uses essentially something along the lines of viruses or germs. Some people will all the bad stuff that happens to us so is not necessarily a result of our karma. Although I've always found it somewhat useful to think of it that way because karma always gets somehow comes out, comes to pass. If you do something bad sooner or later, you will get some sort of suffering or reward for it. There's good karma and bad karma, good things you do will lead to good things and bad karma comes from negative things, bad intentions. And the underlining thing with karma, and this is one of the things you should take home, is karma begins with your intention. Always try to work with having good and wholesome intentions. You know, that's why we'll practice and the topic that comes after this is on loving kindness and compassion. As we develop those kinds of attitudes, of always having good intentions, always wishing well. That will help improve our karma and how we live in this world and what will happen after death if we are reborn. Uh, so not everything is karma, but I do find it useful sometimes to think of some of the bad things that happen to me, the unpleasant things as yes, well. 
whatever I did in this life or a past life, I've just paid the price. I'm free of that. That'll never happen to me again. And that may not be an accurate way of thinking about karma, but I find it useful and gives me a little bit of insight or assurance that some of the things that happen to me are, have some purpose. It's not entirely random. Gives it a little bit of meaning. So I just find it a useful way to think about some of the things that happen when I get stuck in traffic or, you know, the things that just annoy us, irritate us. And hopefully something small like that will resolve something bad I really did in the past. So anyway, that's a little bit on that. But karma, if you do do an action, it always has a result. There will always be something that comes of it. And while we have free choice, sometimes people think that because of all of our past karma, we don't have free choice, everything is determined. But we do have free choice. We do have an opportunity to choose. And, uh, you know, there are the views that karma is meaningless. Nothing comes from our former actions. And do not, people don't view the view of cause and effect and believe that a God creates everything. Some people are basically nihilists. The quality of our experience, whether positive or negative, are just simply due to our immediate effort or immediate way of living. And the third is view that some people will have is that everything in the world is caused by previous actions, by karma. I think there they were probably thinking about the Jains who in their extreme version live nakedly, they'll walk down the road with a broom so they sweep away any insects. So they will harm no one. And I've met a few Jains over the years and the way they live in this world is they don't wear leather. You know, they'll wear cloth shoes and no belts, no leather belts anyway and won't use products involving animals or animal life. So they try very hard to live without harming. And in some ways, it's not a bad idea to do some of that, but they take it a little bit to an extreme. Since not everything comes from karma, but karma is one of the things that we can do something about. We can make decisions that uh, will relieve it. So, you know, we can stop banging our head against the wall and lighten up a little bit. Some of the things, decisions we made have put us in a place where we can't do something else. I mean, I'm sure right now in the next 10 minutes, nobody can go swimming for lack of a pool or access to one or cold weather in that time. Sounds like the wind is kicking up. <clears throat> so there are lots of lists of karma, kinds of karma, white karma, black karma, black and white karma, that I don't think we need to get into. Some of them, Trangelberg Bichet does, a lot of them he skips over. Years ago, I gave a class on karma, the whole class two hours.
Yeah, that was a long time ago. And I've since decided that that really is not a lot of really useful information. No. So anyway, the basic classifications that we should be aware of is negative or non-virtuous karma. These are the type of actions that create our problems. The second is virtuous or meritous karma, which creates good things. And uh, sometimes when we talk about karma, they, the, the karma is always bad. And it, it's not, it leads to the good things in our life. Although in some ways, karma is always, the idea ultimately if you become a fully awakened Buddha is to be beyond karma. That your actions will no longer have any consequences on how your life goes. But that's something that is probably far away from most of us. But that's meritorious karma. And then the karma of what? Immobility, I think he calls it. A type of actions connected with the practice of meditation. And this is where the mind becomes totally absorbed in itself. It's completely introverted. I think that leads to some of the blissful states I was talking about earlier where <clears throat> don't get us anywhere productive, but uh, it is uh, something that is tempting. Some of the meditative states that people can get into can lead to that. And I've been told they have found in some of the caves of Tibet hidden off in the mountains, skeletons of people that apparently died in meditation just from the position of their bones. So they just sort of got there in such a deep state of meditation that they just kind of stayed and died that way. So Kurtman is always created for, by its creator. Karma ripens is the word we use, as the ripening of karma, this comes to pass. And it will always come for its creator. There's nothing I can do that will affect your karma. Whatever you do, whatever you want to happen, you'll have to do it yourself. You'll have to do the practice. You know, hopefully we've given you in these classes over time enough information to have better karma, but still you have to do the work. And there's nothing we can do for that. And it's just like, you know, if I plant an acorn, I'm not going to get an apple tree. I'm going to get an oak tree and any other seed is kind of like that. And then there is the principle he calls it strict result. We're experiencing the effect accordingly describes the correspondence between the quality of the action and the quality of the result. And again, you know, really negative action is going to lead to a very negative kind of result. If you harm somebody, you know, you will wind up being very unpopular or unliked or maybe even in prison. Sometimes you get great results from small actions. A little bit of kindness that you did to somebody could have you know, very big and magnifying results further down the road. 
as well as something bad you did to somebody could have very, very big consequences in a negative way further down the road. And whatever you do, it never quite goes away unless we work hard at purifying karma. And there's a couple of things you can do to sort of remedy karma. If you have done an action that's negative and regret it sincerely, that's the first thing you can do to purify a bad piece of karma is serious regret. The second is to resolve, not to repeat it again. Just kind of tell yourself, this was not good. I will not do this again. And then some sort of remedy, some sort of cure. And meditating on emptiness is one of the things they talk about in some of the texts. But anything you can do with the intention of purifying the karma, of realizing that you should not have done it, and that you know it is actually empty of anything meaningful. I'm not sure how much you understand of meaning. Emptiness, I know it's been talked about, but it's a tricky concept for some people. And the last thing you can do is renew your commitments to the three jewels, to your dharma practice. Reinforce your commitment to maintaining your practice. Yeah, he divides things up a little bit further. And, uh, Actions of body, speech, and mind. And bodily actions are things like killing, fighting, stealing, things like that. Speech is lying or using divisive speech or harsh words or engaging in idle talk. Sometimes trying to divide people, passing rumors is bad speech. The non-meritorious actions of mind or coveting, wanting something that isn't yours. To have ill will or negative thoughts about somebody or something or to hold wrong views. So it's kind of important to really understand this stuff and try to make sure that your views are more or less in line with what they're supposed to be. So whatever we do, any of our actions that are motivated by greed, anger, wrong or wrong views, ignorance, will have a negative and painful result. So anything that's done that way. And that sometimes works even with generosity. Of, you know, you give money to support a cause. Supporting KTC is a good cause. And we've all been asked for money. And Reminded, I should remind you all that we are still needing more money to complete the building. And if you give it with the attitude that you just want to benefit KTC, you know, that is a pure motivation. If you give it with the attitude that, well, gee, they'll really like me and appreciate me and I will be a really good person and people will know that, that's beginning to taint your action. You know, sometimes they say no gift, no giver, no giving. And uh, most of us have a little bit of that motivation that, you know, I do want to be thought of as generous and somehow recognized, but because uh, that's being human. But just being aware that the less of that you do, the more you can give freely without 
any conditions, the better off you are getting more into unconditional love. So those are the key things I wanted to bring out and I've put out a lot of different topics and information. So I'm kind of hoping that some of you may have some questions or response or dialogue that we can talk about. So I will open it up, unmute yourself if you wanna ask a question or put up your hand or put something in chat. I guess uh, yeah, I've been trying to wrap my mind around karma and I've been reading um, Charlotte Grimpoche's book. Um, I wondered if it would be, and just trying to get it to a, a place where it's easier, easier for me to grasp. And I wondered if it would be fair to say that, for example, purification of karma is about just really um, redirect, retraining your mind so that your dominant thoughts that your automatic go-to thoughts and reactions are positive. Um, in other words, it's about like garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> and I didn't know if that was a fair way of thinking about it. That that it's really about um, changing your mind stream and and what you put in, what you put in it, and what you choose to prioritize is important, and that that's what ultimately helps um, purify your karma and make it more positive. Absolutely. I think you're quite right that we practice loving kindness in Tonglen, compassion practice, in order to change our minds, to change our intentions and how we respond and think to things. So we do have those kinds of responses uh, and more automatically. You know, and I sometimes catch myself thinking, especially when I'm thinking about some of the political situation of the moment that boy, I better quit thinking that way. That's not a nice way to think about somebody. But uh, I've been, that's been the hardest one for me too. My go-to on that is still not good. <laughs> I'm working yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only thing I can think of is that our current president is not a happy man. No. He never I try to think of him as a child. I try to imagine him as himself when he was a child and that helps. But, you know, it's really is trying to train those things. As I've said before, one of my favorite quotes comes from an old Zen master who was getting really up there in age and his students asked him, well, what is the result of a lifetime of practice? And his response was an appropriate response. And that's what we're trying to develop so that we can respond appropriately to whatever comes up, whatever arises. And... Uh, and engage the world from a more appropriate and comfortable way. Mm. So yeah, it sounds like you're kind of on the right part track. You know, I think the summary of Buddhism Lama Kathy likes comes from the Dhammapada is do no harm whatsoever, do good, purify the mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha. You know, that sums up the whole practice right there and it's this purification of the mind. And we do that both with meditation on Tonglen and uh, compassion practice, but also by paying attention to the precepts of not harming, of not stealing, of not using wrong speech and avoiding idle chatter and uh, intoxicants. And Thich Nhat Hanh, talking about garbage in, garbage out, you know, includes with idle speech 
distracting kind of thing. So it's like watching television, which, you know, I think we all do a little bit, some more than others, but, uh, but that is something that, you know, it just kind of takes the mind away from Dharma. And the way Gampopa talks about this is the most important thing we can do with all of our time, because it is impermanent, is to practice and practice. So, yeah, I hope that helps. Yeah, very much. Thank you. Any other questions, comments, feedback, arguments? Yeah, Josh likes purifying negative karma. You're rebalancing our karma to get back to the middle way. I think that's another way to look at it that's useful. Staying on the path. I think there is something in the great path of awakening on methods of purifying karma, but I could be wrong on that. I was sort of looking for it and I couldn't find it, but I know that's a book that Lama Kathy practically has memorized. She always seems to have it with her. So any other questions, comments, or? Hi. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say something and I saw that in fact. I, I just want to comment that uh, I'm not, for me, balancing and purifying might be two different things. Purifying might be, a, balancing might be a trickery idea. Deliberately balancing your karma, but say good and bad, positive and negative. I don't know, to me, purify, I know this, it's a few different words to me, but um, I was interested in uh, your comments about not everything is due to karma. And I saw something like that when I was scanning at 37 practices of Bodhisattva recently. So I guess mm -hmm. it was called adventitious. It's what? Adventitious. A D B E N T I T I O U. Yeah, something added, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, uh, one thing you could say, I'm, you, instead of saying not everything is due to karma, you could say something to do group karma, not to individual karma. But I, what do you mean by saying, and what, uh, are you saying something to do, to, if you're saying not everything is due to karma, are you saying something to just random or something to spontaneous, which might not be the same as random? Or, um, I mean, I could say a point to create something other than just saying everything is due to karma. Some people don't like that and um, don't react to it. You know, it's not always a good thing, although I thought it was kind of the normal position that everything is due to karma. But then, uh, then people will say, Buddhists would talk about group karma if they want. But, so sometimes you have to experience things that are part of it. And even the universe, nature would be group karma. Mm -hmm. Some people would say. So, uh, but anyway, just whatever is your idea of things not being due to karma. Well, some things do happen by chance, and some things are clearly other causes. Now, the one of the problems. Yeah, no, the Buddha actually did talk about that in one of the sutras. I'd have to dig it up, but yeah, it's buried away in one of the sutras in one of my books over here. 
But yes, the Buddha did say that actually. Uh, but still, there's always the question of, you know, why me? You know, I'm crossing the street and I get hit by a car. I've crossed that street many times. I look both ways and somehow the car seemed to make a turn and come out of nowhere. Now, was that because of my karma? I mean, it could have happened to anyone. And I can look at it that way. I mean, it's useful sometimes for me to look at it that way. But, you know, on the other hand, it could have happened to anybody and it may have just been random. But generally, we don't like randomness. We want to make things personal. And so we think, I must have be something I did. But you know, we do have a hard time with random thinking. And on group, group karma, they do talk about group karma, karma venation. And some of that is kind of important to be aware of. I don't think Frank or Bichet talked about it much in this chapter. But to the extent that, you know, the country is oh, something like the death penalty, you're never going to be in a position to execute anybody and probably never be on a jury that will have to make that decision. But if they do execute somebody to the extent you support the death penalty, that might be a little bit of the group karma that may affect you. I would have thought the traditional book, you know, Kathy Wesley is talking a lot about past lives in her book club. She mentions past lives a lot, but uh, mm -hmm. probably with the Great Path of Awakening, you know, I noticed that this Wednesday with um, 37 practices of a Bodhisattva, she keeps mentioning past lives. And, um, and I'm not sure what Kathy, you know, <clears throat> I just, I find Kathy Wesley a little bit but um, I, the traditional, you know, there's this one person that wrote a book called Buddhist, Buddhism Without Belief. What's his name? I can't think of his name right now. Stephen Batchelor. Yeah. And, um, and then there's, I, I think Kipple Kaiser, my question of Kipple Kaiser is that he's a much more, he encourages traditional Buddhist beliefs more than stuff. And I, a traditional Buddhist belief, I thought was the car. If you get hit by a car, it may be getting your past karma, even though it looks random, even though it doesn't look like you did something stupid. Mm -hmm. um, well, at this point, we just simply don't know. And as one of my teachers once said, uh, trying to fully understand the machinations of karma, if you're not a fully enlightened Buddha, leads to madness and vexation. Yeah. It just you know, there's just so much going on there that we'll never know. And uh, yeah, Stephen Batchelor is an interesting guy. I like him. I know him. I've met him. I've had dinner with oh, him. Oh, really? And uh, I like his books and his thinking in general. But I kind of disagree with him on some of the things. One thing on past lives and that kind of thing, to say I believe in past lives might be something of a state of, of faith. To say I don't believe in past lives is also a state of faith. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been dead, so I just don't remember past lives. So, <laughs> I, mean, I just, 
you know, I'm agnostic on that. I just well, I was trying to tell somebody once. <laughs> but I don't see a major problem with it. I see some reasons actually to accept the idea of past lives. Uh, you know, you look at some of the people that report having had them. Some of them sound convincing. You look at children, they often They're come. They're very dissociated, like a multiple personality. If you had multiple personalities, but the other ones seem very different to you from yourself, from your own There's a lot of problems with that. There's nothing certain about it, but uh, there are some reasons, I think, to argue that there are. I mean, look at some kids just seem to be growing up with the idea that they want to be a doctor or a musician, that they've had some connection with that in the past. Uh, I think that's, uh, their parents... Know, I, I, I think that's a, a traditional Buddhist might say you got hit by a car, particularly randomly, because of your past karma. I, I also think you're probably today some doubt in there about that, if you're teaching about it, you know, what reason they might forget something like root karma. But I mean, people will get very exercised to say if you're telling them everything is due to past karma. But uh, just to say, a great deal is not due to past karma. I mean, you're you're also if they're also supposed to think that things that they consider unfair are due to past karma. Think in their life, think in my life that I feel unfair are unfair are due to past karma. If you're getting people to really believe in karma, they're supposed to feel that some things that they don't feel responsible for somehow. They are responsible for, maybe in a sort in a way they can't understand or causing it to the price, even though it looks random or right there. But anyway, I just um, hadn't heard so much emphasis on, uh, on things not being due to karma. I, although I did think back to uh, just recently in the 37 practices commentary. Okay, I'll yield. And also, I don't know. To me, balancing and purifying could be two different things. Okay, well, getting close to the end here. And uh, so it's kind of hard to say, well, as I said before, the machinations of karma, if you're not a fully awakened Buddha, are hard to grasp and cannot be grasped. As one teacher said, they lead to madness and vexation. So <clears throat> I think we'll leave that go there. And I kind of wanted to end appropriately for what we've been talking about today with a little chant or gata from the Zen tradition. They often chant this at the evening at the end of the day. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Each of us should strive to awaken, awaken, take heed, do not squander your life. And I think we'll just sit quietly and dedicate the merit each individually and offer the time we spent together for the well-being and the awakening of all beings in all places and that we all stay healthy and well. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. 
To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.